You may know a lot of metaverse skeptics, or you might be one yourself. For many people, the metaverse conjures up visions of lonely, unhappy people wearing VR headsets to escape reality. Well, I hope that through this podcast, you come to realize that the metaverse and Web3 are so much more than people in headsets. The feeling is understandable. After all, the term metaverse did originate from a sci-fi novel, but more on that later. Today on Metaverse Marketing, we're talking dystopias and utopias, the fears that can sabotage your brand's foray into the metaverse, and how we can make the ideals of Web3 a potential reality as we build the future of the metaverse. My favorite movie growing up as a kid was Back to the Future 2. Not Back to the Future, not Back to the Future 3, but specifically Back to the Future 2. And the reason why that movie was so impactful for me was when that movie came out, almost all sci-fi movies that showed the future showed a dystopian wasteland. That's Lee Keebler, one of my colleagues at Journey and our director of world building. Lee is the former CTO to Will I Am, and he has strong feelings about Back to the Future too. We were every movie in that era was the world's going to fall apart and technology is going to ruin us and the robots are going to kill us and this is where we're heading. You had RoboCop, you had Terminator, you had all of these movies that just provided this horrible vision of the destination we were all just bound and determined to get to. Except for Back to the Future 2. Back to the Future 2 is the Spielbergian utopian look at what the future can be. Right, uh, it, we have hoverboards and flying cars and Pepsi's in a new cool bottle, and I have Nike power laces. I was like, yeah, that's okay. That's the future. As a kid, I'm watching this. I was like, I don't want the dystopian, scary future. I want this future. And they're both wrong, right? Like it's somewhere, the truth lies in the middle. The virtual possibilities of the metaverse do make it feel like we're living in the future right now. But as I asked, what version of the future? Does the rise of the metaverse indicate we're desperate to escape from a dystopian reality? Or does it represent a utopian concept where we aspire to build a new world without the problems of the old? First, let's dive a little deeper into the ideas of utopia and dystopia. Leia Saidi is an award-winning futurist and world-building expert. She uses data and imagination to describe possible future scenarios. She describes how recognizing utopian and dystopian thinking can help us reflect on reality. We often get caught up in this binary of utopia and dystopia. We tend to think that there are two things that sit opposite each other when really there are two ends of a spectrum. So we can fall anywhere in between that spectrum. You can have the extreme uh, image of the future that is very bright, very happy, and then you can have the extreme dystopia as well. And so if we think about you know, how reality is playing out, the pandemic was a dystopia. It was a breakdown of systems. Um, it affected a lot of people very negatively. It just didn't affect everybody equally. So it may have been a worse dystopia for you than it was for me, for instance. Um, it could have been worse in certain parts of the world than others. We certainly saw that play out. So Thinking about it as as a spectrum is a little bit more helpful than thinking about it as two absolutes. Um, then we want to kind of break down in terms of you know where does the metaverse fall into this. The metaverse has come out of dystopias. It is a construct that was born in cyberpunk dystopias. So we see a lot of those elements bleeding into you know the discussions already. So. What is a cyberpunk dystopia? Well, they're characterized by things like um, you know power-hungry governments, 
that are uh, very corrupt. Um, we see corporations that don't have people's best interests in mind are quite exploitative. Um, we see the individual sort of rebelling and fighting back the hacktivist. And those sort of elements are present within today's society, and they certainly became more present during the pandemic, which is kind of why the metaverse was able to land in this construct, because the conditions for it were ripe. When Leah says the metaverse has come out of dystopias, she is referring to science fiction novels like Neil Stevenson's Snow Crash, in which the word metaverse was coined, and Ready Player One by Ernest Cline set in a virtual reality world called the Oasis. As the metaverse develops, these cultural touchstones serve as a reference for people's fears for the future. Patrick Coleman is the assistant director of the Arthur C. Clarke Center for Human Imagination at UC San Diego. As you can imagine, the metaverse poses interesting possibilities for someone who studies the human imagination, especially how people think about the future. The metaverse comes out of a whole history of technological development, but was really kind of crystallized in Neil Stevenson's writing, and then the, the cyberpunk writers of the 80s, uh, William Gibson, Bruce Sterling, you know, all amazing artists and creators who kind of synthesized all of that into a vision of what humanity might look like if the technology kept advancing in a certain way, alongside structures of capitalism and a sort of uh, 80s culture extended into the into the future. And of course, that was a very dystopian thing. And you know, the the Blade Runner future is it's gritty, it's dark, and we have very little agency um, with our cor corporate overlords. So it is really odd that a generation of technologists use those books and and several others as their roadmap to build something. When you know that future is not one that I would hope most of us would want. Zoe Schemann, founder of Bodacious and co-founder of MCX lays out the common concerns. How do we avoid um, monopolies, you know, on this kind of new metaverse space as well? And how do we make sure that we don't just choose convenience over a level of sort of freedom and, you know, open internet, which is kind of where we should be? So how do we not end up with, you know, the Oasis circa, you know, Ready Player One, where we're all living in shipping containers and escaping via, you know, VR headsets? Before we attempt to answer Zoe's question, let's look at another element of the general public skepticism. For many, the hesitation is not a response to new technology itself, but instead a product of the frustrations and fears surrounding Web 2.0. Because the internet of today does ask a lot of us, our conversations, locations, and sometimes even our medical information. At a time when the internet feels so invasive, it is understandable that the metaverse would be unappealing at first glance. Why would anyone want to give away more of their data? I think that we have to be very cautious because the most powerful companies from human history emerged from the internet, from Web2, right? It took like almost 40 years to happen, to go from zero to one trillion, and it, and it only took them four years to go to one trillion to three trillions. This is the kind of value creation technology is enabling for businesses and industries, right? And uh, it will literally change so much the human experience. That was Teddy Pahabia. Teddy is a highly sought after consultant and Afrofuturist who helps companies get involved in Web3 and the metaverse. But even Teddy acknowledges 
we are uncertain about how to answer some big concerns. If the people don't own their identity and are not able to control their existence or even to monetize it, I think this is the major, major concern. And if I will just take a, a very short example, a very short example, for instance, when, when someone who has a Facebook profile died, what happened to its profile? Right, all the likes, all the content put online, and everything. Does his family own it, or is it Meta which is owning it? And in the metaverse, when when we will be able to incarnate ourselves into avatars and to navigate the system and all of our behaviors, interaction, content, and everything will be recorded somehow into some company server. The question is, who will own it? It's crucial because we can live forever in form of avatar, right? And as a person, as a father, as a son, I would like my family to be able to own my data. So when I won't be there no more, they might be able to go into a virtual mausoleum somehow and have a conversation with Teddy Pagbia, better ancestors, you know, seeking for how life was when I was still alive and stuff like this. And, and I feel like, you know, uh, self-sovereign identity and private data ownership is the cornerstone of the next iteration, not of technology, not even of the internet, but of humankind itself. One of the Web3 ideals that many wish for in the metaverse is for it to be open and a better version of the internet in which your data belongs solely to you. A version in which we can authentically represent ourselves and control our environment. But can it be done? Philip Rosedale, the founder of Second Life, is concerned about what would happen to the metaverse if we can't leave behind the mindsets that prioritize advertising and consumption. I think that... Um the kind of advertising that we've used in social media where the um, what somebody looks at, listens to, clicks on, along with whatever other data about them we can gather is used to essentially target new ads or suggestions or products. Um, I, as I have said before, I think that there is, I am, I am certain that there is tremendous danger in that and that it is almost a... I hope that for many people getting into this space, it will be a moral imperative to not do advertising in the way that we've done it um, with social media. By the way, I think that's possible. The, the real world has ads. We can ignore them. They're just, mm -hmm. they're rectangles that are on the walls. But there's a risk in metaverses uh, or in virtual worlds that we might uh, turn, let that advertising turn into something else, which would be very dangerous, where say, you know, the person that's sitting, the avatar that's sitting at the cafe across the street drinking that, you know, well-marked, you know, cup of espresso is an advertisement. She's not real. She's an ad. She's, 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 and, and she was put there seconds ago because the advertiser knew that you were susceptible to wanting that brand of espresso right now. That kind of behavior is gonna not end well for us. It'll be a downward spiral that ends with us kind of stupefying and oversimplifying ourselves and just you know serving people uh, goods rather than uh, enabling people to collaborate and build together sounds familiar right 
In the last episode, we explored the importance of community within the metaverse. And in a community, you must have trust. What needs to happen before the majority of people will trust metaverse and Web3 developers with something as personal as your avatar? I don't think anybody is quite ready to take on another identity when we're trying to figure ourselves out right now anyways, right? It's kind of a, a catch-22 is, you know, figure yourself out how the last year, couple of years have been for yourself. And, oh, by the way, we now need you to create a digital identity. And this digital identity is going to represent you in these virtual spaces. That was Julie Smithson, co-founder of Metaverse, a web-based 3D engine. I think this is where we need to be really proactive on what those communications are regarding um, avatar identity and as well as data capture. And if we can create the conversation at the beginning, people will be more, um, you know, more interested in, you know, saying, yes, I want to go into this space and you can have my data capture for this, this and this. Um, or they can say no. Right. So. Um, we're still a long ways away from any kind of calm or, you know, people sitting back and saying, yeah, sure, log me in. I, I've, again, it's all about communication. It's about how we're collecting it, what we're collecting, what we're going to do with it, and also just making people aware that that's happening. I think that's, that's the key. Anxieties around emerging technologies are not new. Award-winning sensory designer and neuroscientist Ari Peralta says it's even normal. I think when we look back at history and we look at the introduction of any new radical scalable technology, um, we just get uncomfortable, like literally from day one, you know, like we just get uncomfortable. So that's something that is innately human. So where do we go from here? How can we create an open internet that enhances our experience in the physical world rather than trapping us in a virtual one? Ari suggests we look to the past. What I recommend is going back and saying, not too long ago, we all participated in the creation of the internet. And we're still part of it. And there were some things that we learned from the mistakes that we made during those moments. I think it's important that if we want to be more inclusive, we have to go back to the mistakes that we've made and learn from those mistakes, dig through those mistakes and understand, you know, where the errors happened there. And when I look at some of the mistakes happened in the early onset of the internet, it's that, you know, we're talking about diversity, we're talking about neuroinclusivity, we're talking about all these different things that are important, but they're not there. So it's important to have these people at the table um, participating. So as the metaverse continues to develop, the question isn't really, is the metaverse good or bad? It is, what will we do with it? Lee Keebler elaborates. When you start looking at the good and the bad side of this technology, I think people get too hung up in the area. Um, <clears throat> they look at a, a, at a technology and they go, is this technology bad? Um, well, there are bad people. And bad people take technology and do bad things with them. But is the technology inherently bad? No. Uh, you know, a hammer is technology, right? It's just very old technology. But at some point, that was a cutting edge concept and someone created a hammer. That hammer can build someone's house. That hammer can kill a man. It's just a hammer. Depends on the hands that that hammer rests in 
is where the power comes from. Metaverse tech is tech where you build your digital reality and you're going to build it how you want to see it. People are going to take this and they're going to do uh, horrible or obscene things with it. But people are going to do good things with it as well. Um, it's it's not a question of what do we do with the tech to ensure that it has a proper future. It's what do we do with each other to ensure that we're influencing each other in positive ways so that when people do get a hold of the tech, they want to do positive things with it. The success of the metaverse will rely on builders making a commitment to building a better internet. Sometimes this will mean putting people over profits, and other times it will take your brand to unforeseen heights. As Leia Saidi describes, the key is to build with intention from the start. So if we look at what the metaverse could become, what we really need to do is get away from those cyberpunk roots because I don't think we want the dystopia to perpetuate. We want to think about what the positive, more positive images of the future could be. But we want to keep an eye on both. We want to think about some of those negatives because if we take our eyes off the negatives and how those could evolve, then we're going to miss them and we may not account for them and we may not design to mitigate them either. And we really want to be aware of that as well. Teddy Bahavia explains the importance of building with an intention not only for what the metaverse will be capable of and how we interact with it, but who we will include in its development. You have to realize how much the internet has changed humanity and the way we live, we socialize, we interact, we do commerce, business of anything on this planet. I think that the last 20 to 30 years were the most transformational for humankind, right? And now, now, now that we are building the next iteration of that, of the network, right, that we are bridge the gap between the digital space and the physical one, and more than everything, we are remove all the barriers, you know, of how I would say digital interaction in communities with the physical one. We have to think about how do we make sure to onboard everybody and to make sure that everybody is part of the future. And I think that, you know, the leaders into that space and the companies building the next iteration of the network that literally fuel and supercharge the human experience have to think about How do we make sure that everybody is part of this? This is an issue near and dear to Esther O'Callaghan. She was inspired to create her job and skill training platform, Hundo, out of a concern for how rapid changes in technology can leave disadvantaged groups behind. For me, what I hope for the space um, is that it gives people access to better paid work opportunities um, so that people's standard of living, their quality of life um, can be elevated. Um, and, and, and for me, you know, that, that kind of societal shift, um, particularly at the moment where we're seeing cost of living crisis, you know, all of these things, it, it's, you know, for Gen Z, for young people, it, you know, it's not a hopeful future at the moment. And I think that we need to start to Um, we need to start to bring some hope, you know, back into the future. And I think the best way that we can do that is by empowering the people um, who are going to be responsible for building that future. We have a duty of care as an industry um, to ensure that we learn um, from the mistakes um, of Web2 and try to actually build a system where 
everybody um, as far as you possibly can um, have some level, you know, are afforded some level of protection. Um, and, um, and I think those should be some of the, you know, those should be some of the, fu- you know, the foundational fundamental layers um, of what we build. Some of the best ways you can do that is also by educating people um, about, you know, how to, how to exist within the space. Carol Carpenter is the Chief Marketing Officer at Unity. She is interested in creating experiences that can augment and enhance our lives without amplifying the problems we face in the physical world. If the real world is not inclusive and in some places toxic, in some cases, you know, we're bringing those social experiences with us. And so how do we ensure that it is a fair, equitable, inclusive environment? I think we need more voices, not less, to really have these hard conversations. And then I think also, you know, we as consumers and participants need to lean in and we need to make sure that, you know, when we're in a virtual concert, when we're in, you know, um, these different type of metaverse experiences, that we express our opinions. And when someone's doing something that's not cool, which you see it on Twitter, you see it, you know, on on Twitch, you see it in other places, like the community, individuals like you and me, they shut it down. And we have to make sure that we don't lose our voices. Zoe Schemann describes some of the concerns she hopes developers and brands will keep in mind as they play with possibilities in the metaverse. I think first and foremost, we need to be conscious of who is building the metaverse and who is building these, you know, these kind of different options. Um, at the moment, you know, from what we've seen with the data, the vast majority of you know, developers and designers in the virtual world are white men. Um, and as a result of that, they are building based on their white male experience, which means that lots of stuff gets missed, you know, around, you know, possibilities for self-expression, possibilities for changing your skin color um, or, you know, the gender or non-gender that you identify as. There's also safety protocols that are not necessarily pulled into place because they've never experienced those negative scenarios before. It's the classic thing of, you know, when the iPhone um, first came out with the health tracker, for example, you could track your heart rate and your runs and all that kind of stuff, but you couldn't track your period, you know, because it was made by men who just hadn't considered that. So I think first and foremost, it's a talent thing and making sure that if we want to build a sort of fair and more diverse and more inclusive internet and and metaverse, we need to be conscious of the talent that we're actually kind of pushing into these problems and we need to make sure it goes through several checks and balances before it actually becomes, you know, mainstream and it's actually tested by, you know, women and people of colour and people that don't conform to normal gender norms and all of that kind of stuff. And I think a lot of it comes down to business model as well and actually what kind of behaviour are you rewarding and pushing versus what are you downweighting? I think we need to look at models and what kind of behaviour are we putting out there and what are we rewarding, what do we want more of, what do we want less of? But I think it's a big amalgamated mess, but all of it needs to be you know, addressed carefully and, and with consideration. Philip Rosedale has spent a lot of time considering responsible world building with Second Life. And he recommends that metaverse developers do the same. There's this mindset right now that technology can only do us harm, right? Because we have seen so much harm largely around social media in the last couple of years. And that's really uh, sad because technology in and of itself is neutral in its impact. It's us as the creators of platforms and the users of technology that either do harm or, or provide aid to each other. So one thing I would say is that look at things like Second Life, and of course there are other vibrant communities that have these properties, but you know, something like Second Life shows you that technology can be used for good. And if we do the pre-development that we're doing in conversations like these of the metaverse with a mindset toward 
being uh, of service to society rather than of harm, we can totally do it. Like it's these aren't even very hard. They're they're not they're not like super huge debates. When you get a bunch of people in the room, you say, "Hey, advertising could be really dangerous." Every time I do it, everybody nods, <laughs> even the advertisers. So I think there's an opportunity right now to like do this stuff right. Everybody's creative. Everybody's a part of the community. It's not another wonderful thing about metaverses is that they they take away this distinction between the influencer and the fan or the creator and the consumer. They just take that away. And I think that's right. I think that's toward that's back toward real life, <laughs> so to speak. And so I think that if we can use technology to bring us back to this balance where we're all each other's actor and audience, you know, uh, that's going to leave us in a really good place. This possibility for everyone to be a part of a creative community is one of the great promises of the metaverse. Neil Stevenson is the author of the sci-fi novel Snow Crash, and he coined the term metaverse. He's actually optimistic about the future of the metaverse because of its contributions to creativity. You know, I see more opportunity than I do downside at the moment. Um, I mean, you can always come up with negative scenarios. I guess, again, the, the, the part that I personally would find rewarding is if we can use this to enable the creation of things that are difficult or impossible to, to create in in the current kind of economic structures. And, and to a large extent, that means creative ideas. Hip Hop Gamer is a bit of a renaissance man, a gamer, content creator, radio host, musician, and more. He is passionate about the creative possibilities of the metaverse in Web3. Oh, the opportunities is crazy. And what's so funny is like, it's not new, it's just that now we get an opportunity to be a part of it. It's just like YouTube. Um, it wasn't easy to put yourself out there to the world on camera because there wasn't no platform to do it on unless you was going to NBC to be on television. And you know, back in those days, you got a lot of gatekeepers. So there was just certain things you just, if you didn't have the access to do it, you couldn't do it. Nowadays, whatever you want to do, you can actually do and put out so the barriers have been broken. The world that I'm playing in is the metaverse. Developers, gaming has been done. We just been consuming it. Now we're in a position of creating it because the tools is there to make it easy for the average everyday person to get involved. Luke Hurd is an augmented reality artist and instructor. In his work with Metaspark AR, as well as Snapchat and other AR creation platforms, he has seen firsthand the opportunities that are possible with a creative metaverse. I think in these new spaces, what I think is so cool is that we see this democratization of tools in a way that is similar to the way that like Photoshop and Lightroom took an ability that Ansel Adams had to craft these exposures that were so amazing. And literally me, moron, can do it with a couple sliders. So, you know, it, there's there's so many, so many advancements in these tools that AR and VR are having the same heyday, and this is the future of the metaverse, 100%. That the di idea that we are all individual creators, we can all create things from top to bottom. I can create a virtual world and have created virtual worlds for myself, for brands, top to bottom. And I think that's gonna be the future of economies. I think that's gonna be the future of how we all work together how we treat our data, how we treat our personal information, if you want to sell it or not. Um, so I think that personalization level 
of what the metaverse can do for creation and, and ownership is really, really where it's all at. Some of the world's biggest tech companies have also started investing in initiatives to support and cultivate diverse voices in the metaverse. Michelle Klein, VP of Global Business Marketing at Meta, describes what it can look like when a large company reaches out to build alongside smaller companies. From the first moment that we actually started talking about um, Meta and came out with our new brand, our new company name, um, we made it very clear that we're, it's not us alone who are building this, we're building for the Metaverse. And our goal as a company is just to really kickstart that ecosystem. We want to really accelerate how the tools develop, how technology develops, and partner with others to do it together. We have a program uh, at Meta called Elevate, and this program is all about giving small businesses in the Black and Hispanic community, small businesses, creators, nonprofits, students, and job seekers the opportunity to get the tools and support and training that they need to enable their businesses to grow. And so earlier this year, we matched some small businesses in our Elevate program with an NFT artist from the community. And then they got to work together to tell their business's brand story through a 15 second ad. And then those ads were available for purchase as NFTs in a collective shop. And, and so that to me was just a wonderful example of you know, enabling uh, the partnership and the connection between um, artists and businesses and entrepreneurs to come together to do something in this space and to actually generate um, engagement and um, you know, business support as part of it. It's up to companies like ours and the partners that we work with to build the ecosystem to create the, these connections and to really fuel it along so that more people, more businesses um, can experience what's possible and, and feel like they have the advice, support and education to actually do it with confidence. Of course, the metaverse is not only a place for creatives. It presents possibilities for science, education, medicine, entertainment, our work lives, our home lives, truly every interaction we have with the world. Leia Saidi describes some of the use cases she imagines. So some of the more positive things I'm seeing is how the metaverse could play a role in other challenges like climate change. So um, I've written a scenario around seeds and simulations uh, of species. So if we want to think about how to create more robust ecosystems, we might want to think about how we run simulations around ecosystems to think about how they might thrive and you know how introducing different factors or taking certain actions could affect ecosystems. The possibilities for science in the metaverse is really amazing because suddenly we have a lab that can be run in this construct that is completely safe, that doesn't intervene in the real world, and we can run a million and one experiments in it. So the opportunity for open science is huge. And then on the other end of the spectrum where you can see things going wrong um, is where they're already kind of going wrong, but might extend out further. So for instance, we're seeing with Instagram and with Snapchat and social media, the idea of dysmorphia is becoming much more prevalent. Um, so if people are experiencing dysmorphias with filters, and with images that they're posting on Instagram or on social media, 
We might see that with uh, avatars as well. So the concept of avatar dysmorphia might be something that we want to look at. Um, it could present some challenges in terms of how people feel connected to themselves, how people view themselves. Um, but again, that's also nuanced. There's a flip side to that as well, where um, it could be that, you know, stepping into a different avatar or uh, getting a sense of what it's like to explore a different part of ourselves could also have benefits too. So things like uh, empathy might be built with other people by stepping into avatars of people who are of a different race or different gender than us, for instance. Hip Hop Gamer has been particularly interested in these possibilities for expanding our experience and exploring empathy. Recently, uh, at Games for Change, shout out to my homegirl, uh, Susanna Pollock. She's the CEO of that uh, um, company. Uh, there's a person that was dealing with, he was like schizophrenic and he was dealing with a lot of depression and he would play games to calm down. So I got a chance to experience his story and experience the way his mind works through an app on VR. And that right there, instead of people being dismissive to what they don't understand and leaving people out, you know, to the wolves because they don't understand the pain that they're going through, it creates empathy. Like literally these VR experiences and metaverse experience can create empathy with a lot of people. And these, these qualities, these characteristics and qualities within us as a people will help us be able to coexist better as we move forward as a people together. So, these, so it's much more than just the game and playing games and having fun. A lot of this stuff has a lot of mental barriers that get broken for the betterment of what our society is going to be like going in the future. The opportunities presented by the metaverse seem boundless, which is both exciting and a bit frightening. We can imagine just as many utopias as we can dystopias. When I asked NFT educator and content creator Bex Perfect about what excites her about the future and what keeps her up at night, she found it a challenge to separate the two. I think that it's a really exciting space. I think not just in the gaming space, not just in the fashion space or the retail space, those, those kind of obvious directions that people are kind of going in within um, the metaverse. But what excites me is the possibility for work and the possibility for medicine um, and the way that we'll be using, you know, AI and, and other technologies and haptics and things to help really evolve how we're going to be able to, to really progress helping people because of the metaverse and because of those digital capabilities. What, what keeps me up at night are things like accessibility to the metaverse. So, you know, in certain countries, will you be able to afford the technology to allow you to be part of this? Will we ever have a fully inclusive metaverse? I think that's going to be something that, that is going to take years to really work on in terms of infrastructure and to make sure that that kind of works so everyone can feel included in that. I also, I suppose, worry about I worry about our next generation in a way uh, that they won't get out much. <laughs> and that's that's a bit of a concern for me. I think there needs to be a bit of balance. Um, but I'm, I'm not closing my eyes to the fact that I do think that this is how the future is going to play out. I look at my nephew right now who asked me for, you know, his birthday to give him some some money for tokens for a game that he's playing so he can buy some skins for that. 
and he's already native to this space. So you're never gonna change that, but you can encourage it. And you know, if he wants to be an architect, I would encourage him to try and learn how to code and to become an architect for the metaverse um, and to encourage that with a very clear direction very early on. So I think you can flip those negatives and those concerns into positives, but there needs to be enough builders, there needs to be enough people who are aware of these kind of issues to know how to then start providing the solution. These many utopian and dystopian visions really aren't about the metaverse. They're about the human experience and our hopes and fears for the future. Patrick Coleman explains. The technology is exciting though. And, and that idea that we could step into another self and another world is really exciting. And that still carries a lot of excitement today. And it gets bound up in a kind of Silicon Valley techno-utopianism, which is, you know, we see what the pitfalls can be and we can design around them. And of course, every time we try to design around them, we create new problems, we create new dystopias, because in the real world, utopia, dystopia are not real places. And it's always more of this blended, mixed up thing in the middle. I think that's such a powerful um, allure of, of these technologies is, is not just to escape into a fantasy world, but to find agency in that, those imagined worlds that help you today. So what future do you imagine for the metaverse? Is it dystopic or utopic? Over the rest of the season, we'll be exploring how the metaverse and Web3 are already changing commerce, work, fashion, and even our perception of the world around us. Whatever your interest is, the opportunity is open to shape the future you desire. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. 